0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Friday, March 24th, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Repeal and replace. Defeat and disgrace. And just remember, this is not our bill. This is their bill. Well, that's because yours wasn't a bill. Theirs was a bill. Now theirs is a law. A law which flawed does provide health insurance coverage for millions of American citizens. You know that, right, Mr. President? I've been saying for the last year and a half that the best thing we can do, politically speaking, is let Obamacare explode. And the collateral damage will be millions of citizens of the country of which you are president, yes? Yeah, well, not since the metric system went down hard in the 70s have more people been more pleased by a failure to reform a system that was more criticized. Of course, back then the CBO said the metric system would cost like 12,000 hectoliters or something. And Trump care was much, much worse than that. Much worse. Although, you know, I'm thinking about it. You know how the CBO said the bill would cost 24 million people to lose health care? And the Republicans said, oh, that's not true. Well, now it won't. So the Republicans were right. Dynamic scoring, Trump-splained. When the bad idea never gets the chance to go into effect, that's an odd feeling. It's not certain crisis averted. It's just strongly suspected crisis averted. You know, like that 11th season of Laverne and Shirley, without Shirley, but also without Laverne. Like could have worked, maybe. Lenny and Squiggy, some backstory. Anyway, what with all the attention to this failed bill, which I will be discussing more in the spiel, it did distract from a lot of other news. I mean, let's just focus on the Russian angle, not even talk about how Congress passed a law to weaken web privacy, or the fact that Hosni Mubarak got Arab sprung from jail. Let's just take the Russian stuff. We got Marie Le Pen vocally campaigning on weakening sanctions against Russia. We got Devin Nunez and his dance of nonsense. We got Paul Manafort paid $10 million a year from 2006 to 2009, at least. And this money was so he could advance the interests of Vladimir Putin in general. But there was another thing that happened in Congress this week was about the Supreme Court nominee, Neil Gorsuch. Oh, yeah, the Supreme Court nominee. It's going to be boycotted. Anyway, Maria Cantwell, senator of Washington, took to the microphone and she laid down this diss track.
0: I wish I could get a famous rapper from Seattle here, Mr. McLemore, because this truly is a heist.
1: After which Charles Schumer walked up and said, I wish I had a Brooklyn area rapper in here because even Mr. Buster Rhymes could tell you when it comes to assurances over conflicts of interest, Mr. Trump needs to give me some more. Assurances. It wasn't at all, it flowed when Schumer says it. You know how he do. And then Democratic Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio just said in general of the tone and tenor of the Trump presidency, I wish Ms. Lauren Hill were here with the Fugees because you're killing us softly. Killing me softly with this On the show today, as I mentioned, I will spiel more about the bill that was not. But first, a woman who is Deputy White House Chief of Staff for President Barack Obama. She had thousands of workers under her. She once jumped on Newt Gingrich's car in college. She also paved the White House driveway. All right, I'm going to guess she had a guy do it, but that was her job. She's up next, Alyssa Mastramonico. Any leader promises at least have the trains run on time. But who has that leader's trains run on time? And what if the train isn't a train but a plane? And what if that plane is Air Force One? These were the daily considerations of Alyssa Mastro-Monaco. She was in charge of logistics for candidate then President Obama. Her new book is Who Thought This Was a Good Idea? And Other Questions... You should have answers to when you work in the White House. Hello, Alyssa. Hi. This is a fun book. Uh, I will promise readers that it mentions the word "vagina." for yes. instance. I want to yes. start with that.
0: Just to- what a Vangina is? <laughs> Okay, yeah, because <laughs> sure. it, it
1: also gets to the fact that you are in charge of logistics even in your uh, avocation. life. Even in
0: my personal life, a Vangina is a van you rent to pick up women who are going to a bachelorette party.
1: Uh-huh. And the reason the bachelorette party shows up in the book is that it was set against uh, one of the typically hep- hectic times of your life.
0: It was. It was, uh, I was throwing my best friend's uh, bachelorette party and her shower was happening simultaneous with the announcement uh, that... Uh, Senator Barack Obama would run for president.
1: Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a big deal it was when a you're big working deal. on that campaign. Right. So I would suspect that there was always the temptation to turn to loved ones who aren't in politics and say, how could you possibly be sweating me on whatever mundane detail of their life when I've got the president, the leader of the free world needing to do that? But I would also suspect that would wear pretty thin if you So
0: I will tell you that I, uh, one Christmas, I came home from the White House and I was particularly surly and. Tired, And uh, we were at Christmas Eve dinner and uh, my father said, I am not the only person who gets, Alyssa, you are not the only person who gets tired. And so that was, that was the end. That was my pass and it was over. And so uh, I am just like everybody else.
1: Yeah. Of course, you know you could have. You had several. Uh, I don't want to say Trump cards. You had several. <laughs> you had several chits to play with him. It was like, really, Dad? What stressed you out? It, was it? Was it the NATO repositioning of missiles? Was it that Merkel was going to go off the euro? What was your deal,
0: Dad? There, I will say that <laughs> that it was maybe the following year. Uh, I was on the phone and it was Thanksgiving actually, and he said uh, he's like, oh, "Let's get off the phone." And I said, "It's the Situation Room." And he he like looked at me like I was lying, and then I showed him the phone and actually said Situation Room. So. Not not even the a one pass. with Wolf
1: Blitzer. No. The real the one. The real deal. Yeah. Okay. So tell us... Your job often expanded to include a lot of things, but sure. uh, when you answered the want ad, which is, I know, not how you got the job, like, <laughs> or if there was was a want ad, what would it have said for what you were supposed to do?
0: So the one thing that's sort of interesting to know is that from administration to administration and person to person, the the two deputies for policy and operations, uh, deputy chiefs in the White House, their, their roles can change a little bit depending on the person. So for me, it was overseeing all of the White House military office, which is about 3,000 people, mostly military, um, White House military office oversees the operations and maintenance of Air Force One, Marine One, uh, it runs Camp David. And I oversaw presidential personnel, which reported up to me, which included uh, the political appointments across the administration and also things like interviewing Jim Comey for his job.
1: Great. Great job, Alyssa. He's,
0: no. He is very smart. He's in a terrible <laughs> position. Yes. To sort of what the president did every day, and coordinating all sorts of like different activities, leader visits, foreign trips, and um, anything random, including paving the driveway in on West Executive.
1: So when you interviewed uh, Jim Comey, I know I could have jumped on paving the driveway. Also you fascinating, <laughs> but when you interviewed Jim Comey. What you're you're the initial interview? You give your recommendations to the president. How does that play out? What were you looking for? So Take me through that interview.
0: We went. Uh, it was myself and Kathy Rumler, who was the president's lawyer. She's White House counsel, and mostly we just go through. You know, we talk to the president first. What are you looking for? And of course, he's like someone very smart. Yeah. And so then we met a bunch of different people. And I will say that uh, Jim Comey is the one of the the most impressive people I've ever met. And then the president will meet with all the different candidates. And sometimes we join him and sometimes he does them on his own.
1: So now we're witnessing uh, essentially a long job interview and it's with Judge Gorsuch. And Mm -hmm. he comes across as unbelievably impressive and he has this great manner and I think he seems to be a man of uh, very high character. Mm-hmm. Right? I would hire him for any job except maybe the Supreme Court. I mean, this is what the Democrats have to figure out yep. because you have to try to suss out where they will rule in policy areas. Yep. So with Comey, how does that come into play? It could be the greatest... There, There could be two people on paper who are as impressive, who have great resumes, who seem to be of high character. Mm-hmm. Yet one would make a decision, a hypothetical decision in the future that your administration would disagree with, meaning you would think it's bad for America and Mm -hmm. another would think it's good for America. How do you figure that out?
0: So I think it really comes down to sort of like checking someone's judgment. And also with something like the FBI, a real consideration is sort of the rank and file and how they're going to... That's something that we definitely thought about. How How are they going to view the person that we put in there? And so for... FBI director, you want someone who's cool and steady, who throughout their life has demonstrated good judgment, which he certainly had and who would gain the respect of the rank and file. And so those were some very important things.
1: Right. And so you know you have a lot of sources in the FBI, casual sources, yes. actual sources. You know he has a really good reputation. 100%. What does that mean? He's an FBI man. He uh, does the job. He's unbelievably ethical. Yes. But what about this question of trying to anticipate will someone make decisions down the line that you would judge to be uh, not in the best interest of America? Those Another reasonable person, maybe a conservative person, might disagree.
0: That's So I would say that, well, FBI aside, because that's such a long term. Mm -hmm. Ten years. Ten years. I would say that like, you know, for Supreme Court, you also want someone who's pretty steady. Like, I don't think Neil Gorsuch is that bad. You know, you kind of want to know how people are going to come down on it. But honestly, look, I mean.
1: So does he he evade on that like like a judge would? Do you give him hypotheticals? No. No.
0: No, I didn't. I don't know what happened in the other interviews, but I did not because that would be like. You know, L. Woods from Legally Blonde being like, so let's run through a scenario. Um, so I, I'm very much, I know what I know and I know what I don't know.
1: Yeah. What about satisfying ethical requirements? I've listened to a bunch of uh, interviews with uh, guys named Norm who talked about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he was, was it, he's a tough guy. Was it? onerous on you did it eventually become not on you personally but Mm -hmm. on the white house i mean where there are times like really this would
0: be seen as unethical but then does it become second nature you know what it is i think that having it does become second nature because you want to have like you want to have rules that everybody abides by so it's equal and i think that what they did i it was a pain in the ass but it was fine
1: Were there any things that you'd explain to friends or people who weren't in the White House that you couldn't do because of ethics? And they were like, really?
0: So one time when I was going to a God Street Wine show here in the city, Uh um, I knew that a lot of people there would be smoking pot. So I actually like declared to the office of what was it called? There's an office that vets you and I actually I said, hope the acronym is NARC, whatever the it's office is. Ose- I think it's OSEP. Um <laughs> I went and I was like, Just so you know, I'm going yeah. to a dead I'm going to a God Street wine show and like there might be pot and they were like, Okay And I was like, I just wanna let you know. So Side that was it. Smoke. So it's stuff like that. Do you have
1: to disclose any time the front man is excessively bearded to a show? Is that like a good rule that, of thumb? That's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Built to spill, for instance. Yes, anytime, exactly. Like, some cult leader is in, on stage leading a band. It was. I'll
0: tell you, I was glad that when the Grateful Dead got back together for their fifty oh, minus the, minus Jerry that I was uh, I was there for all three. Uh-huh. Well, two. Uh, that I was well gone from the White House at that
1: point. What about rules
0: about feet on the couch in the Oval Office? Uh we did not. Do that. And that is one of the most appalling things that in Are terms you serious? of. The, so here is here. You're going to get my shtick now okay. about what really bothers me, okay, with what's okay, going on. Okay. So I am a I am a patriot. Yeah. I think that I, I am a public servant. I believe deeply in the transition of power in the government and what the building of the Capitol is in the majesty and the import of the actual White House. And they have degraded what is essentially the greatest home court advantage in the entire world. With how they treat the White House and watching Kelly and Conway put her f- sit on top of her feet, look like she's playing brick breaker, not just in the Oval Office. If it had been just she and Trump, whatever, but in a room with what I think were all the presidents of historically black colleges, she wasn't even talking to them. That's that is the thing mm-hmm. that's like, come on, guy. It's the White House, and it is the one thing that, like, when leaders come. I I saw the other day uh, when Angela Merkel was there, who's my favorite foreign leader. Um, they had, like, taken the interpreters out. It's like they have they have everything that what we... What do you mean they've
1: taken the interpreters out? So typically,
0: mean? you have a very long negotiation with a country when they're coming. and It's like, will the leaders speak English? Will they speak in their native tongue? Do you want consecutive or simultaneous translation? Well, I don't know what they did because when she sat in that meeting, she started speaking in German and there was no translator in the room. That had i we fun we couldn't understand how that even happened, yeah. but it's because everything that we did, which was really protocol and not political, they're basically just like out shooting for sport without af- actually understanding why those things were there ever for well, many, many years, way before us.
1: I'm going to I, I'm not going to say push back because I've literally never been in the Oval Office. So sure. I defer to you. But I gave, for all the actual things that Kellyanne Conway has done and said that are appalling or not true, I gave her a little bit of a pass because I remember when George W. Bush got in the White House, the whole thing was Ronald Reagan always wore a sports jacket in the White House, and look what Bill Clinton did. And George Bush is always going to wear a sports jacket, and then sometimes maybe Barack Obama would just, you know, take his jacket off and be picked Oh, with. for sure. Yeah. So I always said I do not give a damn what someone wears in the Oval Office. I give a damn what. They decide in the Oval Well,
0: Well, I, t- I, okay, totally agree, 100%. And on the couch. I mean, I guess she was
1: trying to get an angle for the picture or something. We're
0: in a new world of social it's, media. I mean, I know. Look, I'm going to tell you that uh, some of my greatest, Valerie Jarrett and Dan Pfeiffer had this idea when we were rolling out the Affordable Health Care Act to do, uh, put the president on between two ferns. And I said, I stood up. I said, that is terrible. It is so not presidential. We cannot do this. And uh, I was overruled for a good reason because it was the most viral thing that we ever did. And it was that was one of those moments where I was like, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong, and I tried to like. And from that point on, I was like much more open-minded about things. But like, they it still doesn't change my mind about how they treat the White House. What
1: about that girl with the green makeup on YouTube that he did the
0: interview glow? With? Yeah, Glozell. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I know. So to me, between two ferns. I mean, you that know. is well. That is <laughs> that's the <thing>. my demo. <laughs> it was kind of like uh, between two ferns broke the seal. I have to know what is it like to be the last black president?
1: Seriously, what's it like? For this to be the last time you ever talk to a president.
0: It must kind of stink, though, that you can't run, you know, three times, you no. know.
1: Actually, I think it's a good idea. Uh, you know, if I ran a third time, it'd be sort of like doing a third hangover movie. Didn't really work out very well, did it? How important was either the tone or actually what Michelle Obama, what the first lady said in terms of creating a work environment?
0: So b- both the first lady and the president were very um, thoughtful you know when it came to that we the the tone was to respect one another to work as a team and most importantly no drama like the leaking that is happening now i can't even express to you what would have happened if it was clear that the leaks you know we would have leaks from other agencies who didn't agree with what we were doing but leaks that are actually coming from inside the white house it happened one or two times, and and that was it because that's when you 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 get the deeply uh, disappointed Barack Obama, and his eyes get really dark, and he looks down at you, and he's like, unacceptable.
1: So this leads to my question: not to deny um, the current first lady her agency or anyone's right to mm-hmm. unshackle themselves from Donald Trump, is something lost by not having a first lady
0: there? Absolutely. I mean, the thing, Michelle, going back to Michelle Obama. The one most important thing she wanted on inauguration day, like, well, after the day after the inauguration, our first day in office, is that she wanted to put a stake in the ground that the White House was the people's house. Mm -hmm. And tours opened up that day. And backing up from that, one of the first hires that was made was the director of the White House Visitor's Office who runs the tours. You know, the fact that tours didn't start back up and making the First Lady wanted the White House to always be accessible. She brought so many kids and she felt that, you know, in Washington, D.C., there were so many kids who lived there and never got to go to the White House. And she brought them to the White House and she went to them. And so I think it is a huge bummer. Some people would say it's very feminist what Melania is doing. But I think that it's a huge it's a loss. There are there is a huge portfolio that Michelle Obama had that is just just—and not that every first lady has the same portfolio, but every one of them, every first lady I know of has had a very significant impact yeah. on what happened in the West Wing. And, you know, right now, it's just MIA. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm waiting for the anti-bullying agenda. Well, <laughs> it's going to set us all on our ear.
0: You know, and I all thought I, I thought during the campaign because Melania never seemed quite comfortable especially after she gave her speech which she delivered really well and unfortunately was poorly served in that process the speech that was largely well Ma- large tru- th- there chunks th- there were came chunks, chunks from that from were very Michelle similar Obama's, to Michelle Obama's yes. but um I thought Ivanka would take a very sort of front and center mm-hmm. f- First Lady ish type role as daughters
1: and nieces have done. I mean, we're going back to Buchanan or whatever, right? Yes, and
0: then, happy. but then she didn't. Cause she was running her business, and now she's you know not going over there, but she has an office in the White House, and so it seems more like working in the White House is actually like a hobby for her. Mm-hmm. But I I do think that it's sad that the the First Lady there is no First Lady for the U.S. right now.
1: So bring us up to today. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll ask it this way. Sure. The job seems to both over-prepare you for anything in civilian life, but also that could be, it could be a letdown. It could be, hey, without all these people behind me, maybe Mm -hmm. things are different in a 40-person company. So what did you transition to and how's it been?
0: So uh, I eventually, after I left, I transitioned to Vice Media, where I was the COO. And I liked it because I was drawn to it rather because it was very campaign feeling. You know, mm-hmm. people on laptops sitting around, nothing too formal. I really wanted to like shed sort of the J. Crew shift dress yeah. so that I'd worn for six and a half years. And it was hard. It was very hard. It was way harder than I anticipated. It's what made actually writing the book so hard because I sort of had like a crisis of confidence because I had been such a known commodity. And in some some cases, whether it was uh, like Jon Favreau, I'd worked with Jon Favreau for 12 years. These people were actually my family. And I hadn't had to prove myself in this kind of way. And also, if I'm being totally honest didn't think I should have to prove myself uh, necessarily. So that was that was hard and meeting all new people and learning about a whole new industry. But I felt like I was Young enough and rested enough that I could go for it. It's like, why not? I'll try media. Um,
1: Did you do you fit in? Did you fit in with the culture of vice, which I think is less God Street wine and more, I don't know, some punk band?
0: Yes. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Um, though they came around. People, it's like, you know, you have to have an open mind about people. And I think that they thought I was going to be... Um, really square and super conservative and have like, you know, my the like
1: kind of person who would disclose that she's going to a concert where marijuana might, might be, be. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and so after a while they were like, have you met that woman? She's alright. So it took a couple months to get alright status, but it was yeah. fine.
1: Alyssa mastramonico is the author of Who Thought This Was a Good Idea and Other Questions You Should Have Answers To When You Work in the White House because she did. Former White House Deputy Chief of Staff. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now the spiel. After the defeat of Trump Care, Trump, who you heard from at the top of the show, seemed not to care. But if you call the bill by the name it was issued under before the focus group got hold of it, if you call it Ryan Care, you might have found that Ryan
0: did care. You've all heard me say this before. Moving from an opposition party to a governing party comes with growing pains. And, well, we're feeling those growing pains today.
1: Growing pains or growing burst appendix? We will need time to reflect on how we got to this moment. You wrote a bill that hurt people. What we could have done to do it better. You could Write a bill that would help people. And then we get to the part that was like a Razzie Award acceptance speech.
0: And I want to thank so many members who helped make this bill better. A lot of our members put a lot of hard work, work into this. I also want to thank the president. I want to thank the vice president.
1: And now at this point, every cabinet secretary is going, oh, not me. Don't, don't name me. I want to thank Tom Price. Damn it. Mulvaney's like, not me, not me. Mick Mulvaney. God damn you, Ryan. Trump care vanished into thin air as the House GOP could not sufficiently agree on an idea beyond Obamacare bad. The Freedom Caucus was the primary scuttlers of the legislation, but moderate Republicans were also not pleased by the legislation because they said this will very much hurt our constituents. The bill, which polled at only 17%, was doomed for a number of reasons. It wasn't conservative enough. It was too conservative. It was poorly thought up and it was poorly executed. Failure, in this case, has 100 fathers all of whom were pretty pissed about having to pay for female reproductive services. But there was one main reason it failed. Because a good slogan is not the same as a good idea. And a good idea is not the same as a good bill. And a good bill doesn't even always have to be the same as a good real-world outcome. Repeal and replace with something terrific, the president said. Who wouldn't like that? You know, if you focus on that something terrific part, if you add that to a lot of things, it tends to make the thing sound, I don't know, a little more terrific, trending toward the terrific. By the way, this is Donald Trump's plan on immigration, beautiful wall, jobs, all coming back, the economy, so much winning, and the war. Although, to be fair to his secret war plan, Trump didn't really promise us something terrific. He promised us something secret. We're just assuming it would be terrific because he is smarter than the generals. But with Trump care, the closer could not close. The emperor has no clothes. You know, perhaps I shouldn't pour salt in the wounds of the Republicans, but that is the Republican health care plan. So now back to the salt mines tax reform, which is like totally easy from what I understand. It's going to be terrific. The Gist was produced by Mary Wilson, who wishes she had a series of Florida area MCs from the 90s in here, because even the Quad City DJs could tell you when it comes to infrastructure, Donald Trump needs to come and ride the train. The Gist was also produced by Chris Berube, who wrote that joke. Yes, you did? Yes? Okay, very good. Mm. Steve Liktai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. First, we're going to implode, then we're going to explode, and then he's going to download. Some movies, perhaps on BitTorrent this weekend. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, leans no. Strong no. Leans no. Yeah, it's not going to happen. The gist, you know, I wish MC Hammer, Michael Christopher Hammer, were around to tell us what I think we already know. We got to pray just to make it today. Oomperoo, depperoo, Peru, and thanks for listening.